video presentation was, I was uh, excited to see what the Lord was doing there with uh, Fred and Barbara, and we're, we're excited to uh, have been a part of that through prayer. Of course, our team, and as Pastor Joe said, you know, next time we do this, we'd sort of like to multiply twice, three times, four times as many people going over there and, and just getting a blessing of doing that there. We can do it here in our own backyard. We have our missionaries uh, in Juarez, uh, uh, Gilbert and Maria Garcia, and uh, Nolan and Marie uh, Shockey, and, and Andy Braid. By the way, Andy Braid and uh, Leanne uh, Poblano is bride now. They were married here yesterday. And I mention that because you'll see behind me all the candles there. I just want to make sure you all realize we're not going into candles things, you know. And I go, let's light all the candles, you know. Now we just didn't have time to change around back to our plastic plants. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, it was a beautiful wedding yesterday, and uh, Andy has such a heart for the Lord and, and for his work down, down in Juarez as well. So please keep them in your prayers. I want to, uh, to ask Nick and Melissa Carrillo to uh, bring Isabella, their daughter, with them. Uh, Nick and Melissa are, are you're turning there, if, unless you've already done that. I just want to mention before we begin that um, I was uh, able to have uh, listened to Wes Bentley's message from last week. And uh, a couple of things that I do want to say, first of all, that it was a powerful message. But it was a powerful message that was necessary for the church here. I also want to say that I know that we had many troubles and trials with our sound system. A lot of that because Wes has a very interesting voice, and it's very hard to hear and understand sometimes. And then he's very fast in what he has to say, because he wants to say a lot in a little short time. So I'm going to ask you that if you really want to know everything that he said last week, then please sign up for a CD and listen to it very carefully. Listen to it very uh, prayerfully and thoughtfully, but listen to it, because it is very clear. You don't miss a word on the CD. But, uh, but it, again, it was something that uh, I, I know needs to be preached in all the churches, and I know of some of the other places where he's going, where he is today, down in Mount Pleasant, Calvary Chapel, in Mount Pleasant, Texas. And, and uh, he's just pouring his heart out to, to really shake the church. And that's a necessary thing today as we're looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, if uh, you had any problems in understanding what he was saying, I do encourage you to get the CD. I hope you'll be able to hear me and understand me this morning. Everybody okay? All right, I'll try to be forceful, but at the same time, I'm not getting mad at you, all right? So you'll understand. Genesis chapter 9. We're going to be considering in the next couple of weeks the blessings and the warnings given to Noah and his sons for the new world after the flood. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7 here to begin 
But then we're going to focus on chapter, I'm sorry, on chapter 9, verse 1, and verse 1 in, in particular today. And so let's read and follow along in Genesis 9, verses 1 through 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man and at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Shall we pray? Father, we ask once again for the anointing and the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon each person in this room today that we may understand fully and that we may comprehend with your wisdom, Lord, not only the things that have taken place over thousands of years, but, Lord, what is taking place today and the relevancy of that which is in, our, in your word, in our Bibles here before us, to the days and times in which we live now. Father, may you bless our families with hope. May you bless each person with the understanding of your care and of your love through your word, through your statutes, through your commandments, and through your laws. And yet, Lord God, we are thankful because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives so that we no longer are under law but under your grace, but yet with respect to all of your law. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, now that we are off the ark, I thought it'd be good to review some of the great lessons that we've learned from our looking at the account of Noah and his ark. Well, first of all, I think a good lesson that we can say we've learned is that we are to plan ahead. Plan ahead. Because it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. So I think that would be a good lesson to take from that experience. Plan ahead. Secondly, another good lesson to take from our study of Noah's ark is stay fit. Because you see, when you're 600 years old, someone might ask you to do something really big. So you need to stay fit. I believe staying fit physically and emotionally, mentally, especially spiritually. And then I think another lesson we might have learned is that speed isn't always an advantage. You know, the cheetahs were on board, but so were the snails and the turtles. So, you know, speed isn't always an advantage. Oh, by the way, don't forget that we're all in the same boat. Or at least we should be. And we, should, and we should desire to be. Why? Because what have we learned about the ark? The very fact that it is a type of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
So we need to be in the same boat. We need to be in the ark of Jesus Christ. By the way, remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. That's quite a lesson to learn. Well, by the way, if you don't know Jesus, I don't want you to miss the boat. So don't miss the boat. We know what happened to those who did. We don't want to miss the boat. We want to be with Jesus Christ. And then lastly, no matter how bleak it looks, there's always a rainbow on the other side. And that rainbow is the promise of God, of God's love and God's covenant. Well, on a much more more serious note, as we look forward to the contents of chapter 9, I I want to begin by pointing out the devastation and the tragedy that can encompass the need for reinvention. Now, how many of you have heard that term, to reinvent or reinvention? A few of you, maybe? You know, if you kind of keep up with politics today, you, you hear that. You know, there there is, for example, even in our own government today, those who have said that they have come in to reinvent government. Uh, again, I'll talk about that in a moment. My concern more than ever is not so much in that, but in what people are saying about reinventing Christianity or reinventing the church. Even to the extent of reinventing uh, the Word of God. There are so many new modern translations today that have watered down the Word of God so much, I don't think we're seeing really the same things in some of the more modern translations that we're receiving and, and, and uh, modern paraphrases today. So reinvention is, is, uh, is something to be cautious about. Again, case in point would be uh, in, our, in our country's current administration, which is stated numerous times, and I only say this because it, it's in public record, uh, their desire to reinvent government. Well, perhaps it would be helpful if they would first seek to rediscover the basic principles of government. And I'm not so much speaking about what the Founding Fathers did 200 and some years ago, as I am about the three principles that are found here in chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. Because you see, as the Lord is establishing His covenant with Noah and his descendants, we see in the first 17 verses of this chapter that public government is initially established. Public government meaning the delegated power by which men exercise and execute judgment over one another. So public government is really kind of the first point in in a very general outline that I'm giving you today as to what we're going to be looking at throughout the the ninth chapter of Genesis. Public government, verses 1 through 17. And what we then see described in verse 18 through verse 23 involve both Noah and Ham's lack of self-control. And so they involve what we might call personal government, the power by which a person exercises discipline over self. Again, the second point to public government, public government being the first, uh, personal government being the second point in verses 18 through 23. And then verses 24 through 29 contain a remarkable outline of the future history of the world's peoples and nations And we can say that this is prophetic government, prophetic government. And so you have public government and then personal government and then prophetic government in chapter 9. Prophetic government, by the way, is the power by which history unfolds as his story, the story of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that is why it is the prophetic government that 
is going to be seen at the end of this chapter. But today, we want to focus our attention on the first seven verses of chapter 9. And as we have seen so far, God judged the wickedness of man and destroyed the world by a flood, except for Noah and his family, plus the animals and the birds that were on the ark with them. And as Noah and the others stepped out of the ark, they worshipped the Lord and uh, they offered a sacrifice. Actually, they offered sacrifices unto the Lord. Now, the Lord makes a covenant with Noah, saying that he will never again destroy the world by a flood. And as we move now into chapter 9, we see God expand on this covenant that he's making with Noah. You see, it was from the descendants of Noah, uh, his sons, uh, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that the world would be repopulated. And through the lineage of Shem, the Messiah would come, the seed of the woman, of course, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus would come. So with that as our background, let's begin our study. Now, again, we're going to look at verses, uh, read verses 1 through 4 right now, but concentrate specifically on verse 1. And uh, so this is really part 1 of, of, of our study of chapter 9. And let me read that, and there's a reason why I'm going to read it to you, verses 1 through 4. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. Now notice verse 2. And the fear of you, and the dread of you, shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Now, What's important about understanding verse 2, at least at this point, is that everything has changed from what had happened and what had taken place and the way things were doing or or the way things were being done before the flood. Because before the flood, we see no indication that man and the animals that were living at that time had any conflicts amongst themselves. Man could live with all the animals. And as we've been doing, by the way, we've been doing a study of the book of Genesis over a year and a half. And we spent a considerable amount of time talking about creation and a considerable amount of time talking about uh, uh, dinosaurs and and, and other things that have uh, have existed, uh, that we know, of course, have existed, but not in the time frame that the evolutionists have said. All that being in the past in our studies. But nonetheless, I bring that up because, again, after the flood, everything changes. And notice that fear is brought into the issue. The animals will fear man. We'll talk about that more next time. And then in verse 3 it says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Stop and think about that. That's another change that has taken place. Before the flood, man was a vegetarian. And had plenty to eat from all that God had given. But now it says, Of every moving thing... It shall be meat for you. Even as a green herb have I given you all things. So now you get meat with your salad. But the flesh with the life thereof, he says, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. And by the way, verse 4 begins our understanding of the government that God is establishing among man. But it begins with him, by the way. So let's remember a few things. Let's remember Noah's emotional state of mind and heart as the Lord begins to speak to him and his sons. Now, I'm not saying 
this issue of the emotional state of mind of Noah from the standpoint of psychology. It's not, it's not that. When I mention that we are to remember Noah's emotional state of mind and heart, it is because, you see, we today are emotional people. God has given us an emotion or emotions. We are an emotional people. When you think about it, there are some things that make us weep. There are some things that make us laugh. There are some things that make us cry. There are some things that make us rejoice. There are some things that make us mad. There are other things that make us happy. We are an emotional people, and this is what separates us from all of the rest of the animal kingdom. We are not, by the way, part of the animal kingdom. I just want you to know that. There is an animal kingdom, but some people want to act like they are, but we're not part of that. Because we're different. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. But but Noah had an emotional state of mind after the flood. And so would you have had that very same emotional state of mind. So I want you to remember this. Noah's emotional state of mind as, as God begins to speak to him. Because you see, Noah had witnessed the terrifying judgment of God upon the whole earth. The volcanic eruption of the subterranean waters and the torrential downpour of a worldwide storm that lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Remember that he had been cooped up in the ark for over 370 days, which means he had been cooped up in the ark over a year, knowing that he and his dear family, only eight souls, were the only living human survivors left on the earth. That should affect the emotional state of your heart and mind. Anybody's for that matter. Let's also remember that Noah had stepped out upon some peak in the mountains of Ararat and he saw the horrifying and utter devastation of the earth. Everything surely had changed from what he had seen before. A barren earth now with debris scattered all over its surface. Here and there bones that had not been buried by the erosion of the receding waters. He had been so gripped by the power and the judgment of God, so stricken with reverence and fear for God, that he immediately turned to God in worship. Folks, that's what we should be doing all the time anyway. Especially in this day and time in which we live, we should be turning to God in worship. We should be turning to God in reverence and fear of Him. Because everything He said would be happening in our day and time is happening today. Paul says that we are living in a perilous time. We are living in dangerous times. Well, that's just the word of God coming to pass. We should fear God. It may not be the devastation quite as Noah had seen it, but it is working toward that, you see. The very first thing that Noah did after disembarking was to build an altar and offer sacrifice to God. But he didn't just sacrifice one animal. Notice in Genesis 8.20 it says, Noah built an ark unto the Lord, I'm sorry, an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Remember that the clean beasts were to come in numbers of seven. We, we said it could have been seven or fourteen, seven pairs or seven animals, either way. There were enough animals to offer sacrifice. And it wasn't just of one type, but of every clean animal and of every clean fowl. So there was a lot of sacrificing going on right after they came off the ark. 
But Noah did just what genuine believers have often done. Noah did what genuine believers often have often done. He recommitted his life to God. Now think about that for a moment. When you came in this place this morning, you came in here and you began to praise God and you began to worship God. I hope you did anyway. But as you did so, what were you doing? Did you not know that you were recommitting your life to God today? Recommitting your life on this day, the day that the Lord has made, a day that we are to rejoice and be glad in? We came to recommit our life, to rededicate our life to the Lord. We do that every time we come and worship the Lord. If you come and you lift your arms up to God, what are you saying to Him? Lord, we are needy. Lord, I surrender. Lord, you're awesome. Lord, I lift my heart to you. I surrender to you. I dedicate my life to you. I, I, I acknowledge my dependency upon you. Now that may be, be a lot to, to you know, think about. You know, when, when we do it, we come because we love the Lord and we worship Him. But that's what we're saying. We are worshiping the Lord. We are praising Him for the salvation that He has given us in Jesus Christ. And see, here's the thing. Noah recommitted his life to God. And I'm sure that he begged God to forgive his sins and to accept the praise of his heart for such a great deliverance and such a great salvation. Wouldn't you say so? After looking out to see the devastation that took place in the judgment that God brought upon the whole earth, And it brings to mind the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews. And yes, there may be some who don't believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That's okay. You can believe what you want. I believe Paul did it. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why I believe that. But nonetheless, whatever it is, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Stop there and think about that phrase again. Paul said, therefore, we ought to give... The, most, the more earnest heed. We need to earnestly and eagerly listen to the things that we have heard. Not just hear them, but listen to them. Give heed to them. Consider them deeply. The things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We should listen carefully to everything that is given to us from God's Word, lest at any time they slip away from us. What happens when the Word of God slips away from us? What happens when that happens to us, but that we drift away as well? Many of us in this room know what it's like to take our eyes off of the Lord, to take our eyes off of His Word, to take our hearts off, and then all of a sudden we're floating and and drifting with no anchor until the Lord rescues us and chastises us, but does so in love so we can come back and trust Him to walk with Him again. Folks, look at the next verse. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ? How shall we escape? You see, there is still a flood. We talked about that a few weeks ago. 
that flood of dissipation. It's all around us. We need to stay on the ark of Christ. We need to stay on the ark of Jesus Christ. But folks, we can't neglect that salvation in Jesus Christ. We need to take heed. So we need to open our eyes to everything that's around us today. By the way, as we talked about that uh, fact that uh, Noah had done what genuine believers have often done, there was one difference between Noah's worship and all of us who have succeeded him. Again, that difference is that Noah was determined to worship God because he had been an eyewitness of the awesome power and the terrifying judgment of God. He was stricken with an intense fear and reverence for God unparalleled in human history. Think about it. Who else has ever seen the devastation of the whole world being judged but Noah? Does that not bring you to an intense fear? By the way, the fear of the Lord is a whole lot different than the fear and the terror of man. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of understanding of the knowledge of the Holy One. We need to fear the Lord. We're living in a day and time that even in the church of Jesus Christ, because of those who want to reinvent Christianity, fear of the Lord is not the important thing anymore. Reverence toward God is not the important thing anymore. Reverence toward the Word of God it's not that important anymore. Conversation. That's important. Feeling good about ourselves. Being entertained. Being happy. But everything else comes way after that. Well, I don't want to reinvent Christianity. I want to know the God who created me. I want to serve the God who made me. I definitely want to serve the God that saved me from hell. Saved me from death and sin. Saved me from the punishment of sin and death. We need to be eternally grateful. That begins with fear. The fear of the Lord. The reverence, the respect that we need to show toward God and toward Christ, and toward His Holy Spirit. So, in that state of mind and heart, what Noah did was turn to God. He cast himself totally upon God, and he offered the largest sacrifice ever made to God up to that point. He wanted God to know that he was totally dependent upon him, that he trusted the Lord explicitly to instruct him and guide him as he made a new beginning on earth. And that's just what the Lord did. The Lord would begin to instruct him now and guide him. Because you see, the Lord knows what we need before we even ask. The Lord knows what we need even before we ask. But we need to ask. And we need to seek the face of the Lord. And we need to seek God. And we need to stay before the Lord. You know, there isn't a time or a place that we can get away from that, is there? We might think there is. You might, you might think that you can get into a room that has a light on and you turn the light off and then God doesn't see you anymore. That's a joke. 
He sees you better now. Because what, what you have just done is revealed the darkness of your own heart. God loves you so much. He wants to keep you in His light. Let's stay in His light. So, what's the first thing that the Lord does after Noah gets off the ark and offers his sacrifices unto the Lord? He blesses man. We're going to look at the blessing of God to man. Look at verse 1 at the very beginning. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons. God blessed Noah and his sons. What does that mean? Well, you know, a new world was being established now. And with it, the blessing of God upon man. Remember that there were only these eight people left on earth. They stood as the representatives of the whole human race. Noah was now like a second Adam. Even though we know that there is the last Adam who is Jesus Christ, nonetheless, Noah stands as a second Adam, the head of the human race at this point in time, just as Adam had been the head of creation or the head at creation. And so whatever God established with Noah applied to the whole human race. And the first thing that the Lord did was bless Noah and his sons. And in blessing Noah, God was giving the blessing, the same blessing, to all persons who were to be born in the future. As he's blessing Noah and his wife and Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. By the way, each one only had one wife. As he's blessing them, he's also blessing those who would come from them. So understand then that to bless here, and by the way, the word bless in the Hebrew is the word barak. And it's an interesting word because you see, not only from the word barak do we get blessing, but we can also use it in a different context. And again, it's dependent upon the context. The word can also be used for a cursing or a curse. So you have to be very careful how you see the word barak because it's either a blessing or a cursing. Now, with that in mind, to bless means to bestow a gift upon a person, to confer something upon a person or people, some benefit or pleasure or delight. Or bliss. To extend goodwill and good intentions toward a person or people. To act in love toward a person. To grant mercy and grace abundantly. By the way, that's how God blesses. God always blesses abundantly. And to grant mercy and grace abundantly is really what we are seeing in this particular verse in Genesis chapter 9. Hence, a most wonderful thing was happening. God was pouring out in abundance upon Noah and the human race his mercy and grace. He was pouring out in abundance upon Noah and the human race his goodwill and intentions. He was pouring out upon Noah and the human race his pleasure and his joy. And he was pouring out upon Noah and the human race his great gifts. That is what the Lord was doing for Noah and his sons. But the great problem is this. Too many people do not receive the great mercy and grace of God. God wants to bless, but we have to receive. And receiving is a very key element in our understanding the things of God in our lives. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, has two verses where 
of great importance for our understanding of why Jesus came. Because it tells us in verse 11 of John chapter 1, He came unto His own, but His own did not receive Him. But in verse 12 it says, But to as many as received Him, to them gave He the right to become the sons of God, to as many as believe in His name. Now, what's important there? Some rejected Him, but those who received Him received the blessing. The blessing of Jesus Christ in their lives. The blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ. But you have to receive it. My brother-in-law this past weekend when we were on our way to San Diego to my nephew's uh, Marine Corps graduation, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he was telling me a little, I guess it was a joke, was a, you know, kind, of, kind of saying, you know, that there was a man that, uh, you know, had been, you know, pretty destitute and he didn't have a whole lot in his life and stuff. And so he kept praying to God and praying to God and God said, you're going to win the lottery. He said, really, Lord? I'm going to win the lottery. So week in, week out, the lottery, you know, would happen and nothing would happen. And he says, Lord, I thought you said I was going to win the, win the lottery. And the Lord says, you have to buy a ticket. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and buy tickets. I'm just telling you a joke. But the point of the matter is this. You've got to receive. God wants to bless, but you have to receive it. And too many people today are not receiving the great grace and mercy of God. Too many people today are walking through life without God. They're walking through life without the blessings of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are walking through life by ignoring God, by neglecting God, and even denying Him. Never allowing God to have mercy on them and to bestow His grace upon us. Some people never allow God to bless them. To look after them. To care for them. I mean, this is a great need of man today. It is to receive the mercy and the grace of God, the blessings of God, which He has poured out upon the earth through His very own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave. That that indicates that that's a gift. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. Now, believeth and receiving is a very important thing. They go together. You got to believe in the gift. And then you got to receive it. You can't just sit idly by and expect that it's just, you know, going to everybody else, but well, you know, it doesn't it's not that important to me. It is important if you understand one thing. If you understand that there's a holy God who has given us every opportunity to receive his blessings of salvation. And doing so because we know that he is going to come to judge again. Those who are safe and are in in Christ are going to be safe. How can you neglect such a great salvation, you see? So, I I would consider what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, when he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Why? Because God is one who blesses abundantly. But you've got to seek first the kingdom of God. Or when we consider what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9, when he says, but God, who is rich in mercy. You know, that's a wonderful statement because, you see, God never runs out of mercy. He can bless each and every person that's in here and bless all the other believers in El Paso today and every other church that's meeting right now. And he can bless them and he can bless a whole bunch of people all around the world. 
And he never runs out. His mercy never runs out. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have trans, has quickened us together with Christ, which means he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Or what Paul says in Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us, or he saved us, by the washing of regeneration being, of course, regeneration is being born again, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, we see how much God wants to bless us with a salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. Are we ready to take it and receive it? And it's a lot to receive. Part of that is understanding what Peter says in 1 Peter 5 verse 7 when he says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Every care that you have in this world, you can cast upon Jesus Christ because he cares for you. There's an abundance of care for you from the Lord. I love this verse, Psalm 68, verse 19. I love what it says. It says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us up, or loadeth us, loadeth us with benefits. <laughs> he just loads us. You ever seen that commercial for that uh, cell phone, you know? They got all those people carrying all this stuff that you can only get in one little phone, you know? Think about that stack of stuff multiplied hundreds of times. That's how God wants to bless you. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Why? Because that salvation is the greatest benefit that you can receive. And then in Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. You know, if we just stopped right there, that would be all we needed. The very presence of the Lord is all we need. But he goes beyond that, doesn't he? He says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's a lot more benefits than him just being with us. Yet if he was just with us, that would be more than we could ever handle. How wonderful God is in wanting to bless his people. And so that just gives us a small idea of the blessing that God is giving to Noah and to his sons and what is to be carried on in their lives, in their families, in their children, and in their children's children. But then comes the mission and the purpose of man. God not only blesses them, but he gives them a purpose. And you'll notice in verse 1 it says that God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful. And multiply and replenish the earth. The second thing that God did was give Noah and his sons a mandate, so to speak. The same kind of mandate that he had given to Adam in the beginning of creation. Something that we can read in Genesis 1.28 again. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, listen how much this sounds like Genesis 9 verse 1. 
It says, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Up to that point, it's the very same words. But to Adam and Eve, he goes on and he says, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now things, of course, have changed and we'll talk about that changes next time. But Noah and his family were beginning all over again. The earth had to be repopulated. Why? Well, because without people, God's great purpose for the universe and man could never be fulfilled. What was the problem all along? The problem was what happened in Genesis chapter 3, which was the temptation of man and the sin of man, and how sin came into this creation, and you know, through the serpent. But then came the promise of God given to the serpent. That, of course, in, in Genesis 3.15. That the Lord was going to send his deliverer, his Messiah, as the seed of the woman. That, of course, being the promise of Jesus, our Christ, our Messiah, our anointed one. So that is the purpose. To fulfill his promise. And so Noah and his sons were given the great mission of repopulating the earth. Which was the same mission again given to Adam and Eve. Now, this brings us to the issue of reproduction. And I'm not going to spend time on on dealing with this from the standpoint of, you know, the scientific uh, parts of all of that. I don't think we have to go into the birds and the bees and whatnot. But what we do need to understand is why and how and, and what. Now, reproduction, as God has commanded them to be fruitful and to be multi- multiplying and, of course, to replenish the earth, reproduction establishes the closest bond and union possible between a husband and a wife. As God Establish the standard. Husband and wife. That's how reproduction is to come about. But it's deeper than just the biological aspects. Reproduction establishes the closest bond and union possible between the husband and wife. Again, God's standard. When God created man, he said, I created man, male and female. That's all we are, either one or the other. Please understand that. I know I repeat this over and over and over, but there's a standard. God never changes. God's word never changes. Don't expect to be reinventing what God says. But what that establishes in that particular case is a relationship of love, a relationship of care, trust, and loyalty between husband and wife. The Lord wanted Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives to walk, to work, and to worship hand in hand as they journeyed through life together. The relationship between husband and wife was to serve as the basis for all other relationships upon the earth and within societies and nations on earth. All groups, whether societies or nations, were to walk and work together in love, in care, in trust, and in loyalty based upon that establishment of husband and wife. Reproduction also establishes family. 
It institutes the rule and the principle of one man and one woman for each other. There was to be no separation or divorce. There were to be no split families, no children without a father and mother. When God first created man and woman and established this new world with Noah and his sons. Love, care, trust, and loyalty are to be the strongest bonds known to man for man and for his family. Reproduction also teaches man that all people are of one blood, from one source. And therefore all people, all races and nations are to live in peace and unity, working together to subdue the whole earth. There was to be no prejudice. There was to be no discrimination. There was to be no violence or greed or selfishness or war upon the earth. Not originally. Not when God first created man. And by the way, that's still God's desire for man. It is to live in love and in peace without prejudice, discrimination, without violence, without greed, without selfishness and war. But what exists today? All of those things. Why? Because man has chosen to ignore God, neglect God, and deny that God exists. Now, is reproduction and just, you know, the creation of babies all over the place the most important thing? Well, Donald Gray Barnhouse made an interesting point on this issue. Barnhouse is a great uh, 20th century preacher, and I, I, if you've never read him, you know, look for some of his books. But uh, he wrote a, a commentary, a devotional commentary in the book of Genesis. And, and in that book he said this. He said, and I want you to listen carefully. He said, man's mission to be fruitful does not refer merely to the reproduction of the species, but to the fruitfulness in every good work before God. Man is not here on earth to live according to his whim, but to live in accordance to, with God's plan. Tremendous statement. And you see, that is, has a basis in Scripture. The basis is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Let me read to you verses 9 through 11. Colossians 1, 9 says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy, get this, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So, we were created for an entirely different purpose than what man today is saying they were created for. So I think we can now see why the world is in such a mess today. I think we can now see why the world is in such a mess. Man wants to live according to his own whims. What's a whim? W-H-I-M. Well, to live according to his own whims is to live according to his own impulses, according to his own urges and his own notions, his own desires, his own ways of doing things. Man says, you know, God, I don't, I don't, I don't believe what God says. I don't even believe there's a God, blah, 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 this and that. So I'm just going to live the way I want to live. And you might hear people say, well, this is the way I was born. No, you were born either a male or a female. Oh, no, 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 you know. And, and so we, we come up with all these arguments. And so the world has just come up with all these arguments against what God's Word says. But you know what's interesting? 
everything that says everything that God has given us in His Word is for man's good. It is first to His glory, and then it is to the good of man. So what we do is to the glory of God, but what He does is to our good. That's the blessing that He gives to Noah and to all that come after Noah and his sons. But man rejects it. Man ignores it. Man neglects it. And eventually man denies the source of life and the source of blessing. May I leave you this morning as we close now with just a couple of verses of Scripture. I say a couple. Maybe I better say four verses of Scripture. Of importance for us to take home with us to consider how God's Word needs to be steadfast in our lives and in our hearts. First of all, Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. There are many devices in a man's heart. Not only just devices in the sense of things that a person can have to use for his own life, but the devisings, the devisings of man, the plans, the plots of man. There are many of them. Outside of God, outside of God's will, outside of God's purposes, man can come up with a whole lot of stuff. Just think about Hollywood. Think about what can be created in the minds of people. Yet it says, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The point of that is, the things of man will not stand. They may last for a certain amount of time, but they won't stand before the word of God. God's counsel stands. God's word will stand. And that's why we can stand on God's word, because it is steadfast. It is alive. God's word is living. God's word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word will never crumble. It will never fail. So you know what? Let's leave it alone. Let's quit trying to reinvent God's word. Secondly, Isaiah 30, verse 1. God speaking to a rebellious people, his own. So the church needs to wake up. Isaiah 30, verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. That cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin. This is happening today. There are churches today based upon various whims. You want to believe a certain way, but you want to stay in a certain lifestyle? Well, there's a church for that. But God says, that's not of me. They may wear robes, they may light candles, they may go through all the songs, they may even sing the songs that we sing. But you know what? God says, it's not of me. You want to cover yourself with a covering, but it's not of my spirit. You don't have my covering. Because you've neglected my word. You've you've neglected my truth. And the whole purpose is so that they might add sin upon sin. They want to stay in a sinful lifestyle. But they want somehow God to bless it. Be careful, people, when you 
build a plan for your life and then say to God, bless it, Lord. No, you pray and listen for God's plan for you. It's totally different. That's listening to the word of God, not listening to man's plans. Thirdly, Jeremiah 18, again, to a prophet who is to awaken his own people, the children of Judah. Verse 11 says, Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. I am going to judge you for the evil that you have become and the evil that you're doing. But if you return to me, I will save you. And what is the response? I want you to listen to this response. And they said, there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices. And we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. That's a response to God. I happen to know that some people responded that way to Wes's message last week because of some of the things he said. They got up in anger and left because they said, no, I'm going to walk after my own devices, not what God says. Okay? But you know what they're saying? That I might do the imagination of an evil heart. That's what saddens me. That they will not listen. Lastly, and I close with this, Psalm 33, verses 8 through 12. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Everything that God has spoken, he accomplishes, doesn't he? The other thing, too, to think about it, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. All the earth will one day bow its knee to Jesus Christ. One day, all the world, every person that's ever lived, will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Paul says... That every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow. What we need to do today is bow our knee now to the Lord. There used to be an old Fram oil filter commercial where an auto mechanic would come out and would say, Listen, you can pay me now or pay me later. If you don't get Fram oil filters, you know, you're going to be messed up. They're more expensive, so, you know, you can pay me now or pay me later. Well, you know what? That's what Paul is saying. Every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, you know what? You can pay him now or you can pay him later. You can pay him worship and praise now or you can pay him later. Because you're going to pay him. You will bow your knee. But today would be the best day. To bow your knee while you're still breathing, while you're still alive, while you're able to hear the gospel, while you're able to know what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, and while you're able to know that he rose from the dead to secure for all who believe in him eternal life. Are you willing to bow your knee to God now? Then, why haven't you done it if you haven't done it? Those of you that were saying amen, praise the Lord, because you've already done it. 
Keep doing it. What about everybody else here? I don't know. God knows your hearts. I don't. Verse 10, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to nothing, to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. You know that we, as coming to Jesus Christ, have become a blessed nation, a blessed people. But there are a lot of people out there that have not bowed their knee to Christ. And we need to bring them the gospel. As Joe was, Pastor Joe was sharing earlier about the wonders of how the Lord opened the hearts of people to the gospel in Mexico. So it can happen today. By the way, those of you who know Jesus Christ, it happened to you. Once you were lost, now you're found. Once you were blind, but now you see. Sounds like a song. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. To save the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, that blessing is going to be of utmost importance as we continue on in the book of Genesis. But it's of greater importance right now if you don't know Jesus Christ. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today's the day... It would be a wonderful day to know Jesus. And he is a God of love. But he's a God that is holy, holy, holy. He is a God that is holy, righteous, and true. He is a God who is awesome in all of his power and might. He is a God that is worthy of worship. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's thank him. And I say this to those of you who know Jesus. Maybe you've been struggling in your life as a believer. And the things of this world are trying to drag you down. It's time to stand upon the truth of his word. And let's let the world just, you know, fade away. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. If you haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ, you